Uh, but to, and today, we get the great honor and privilege as a church to ordain uh, two uh, men uh, to, be, to serve this church in the office of deacon and Sammy and Alex. Uh, and as your pastor, I've preached a few sermons from Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we've talked about the role of deacons, and we've talked about the characteristics that deacons uh, should have as we think about electing them. And as I thought about this for the last uh, few weeks, uh, I thought today we could ask the question, how to be a great deacon? How to be a great deacon? And as we look at the passage in Matthew 23, and I invite you to turn there, uh, well actually the bulletin says 11 and 12, we're actually going to read uh, verses 1 to 12. Uh, I'm sorry about that, Chad, I didn't tell you that. <laughs> so it won't be on the screen. Uh, not all of that will be on the screen, uh, but we will read this whole context because I do want you to see the context of the whole passage. Uh, but verse 11 says this, that the greatest among you will be your servant. The greatest among you will be your servant. And while today we ordain Alex and Sammy, this message is not just for them. Uh, so I don't want you to sit there and say, well, he's just going to talk to the deacons today. No, this message is for everybody. This message is for everybody. Because all of us who have surrendered our life to Jesus, all of us who are in Christ are servants. Uh, in fact, in verse 11, where you see the greatest among you will be your servant, that word is the same word that we translate deacon. You could very easily say, the greatest among you will be your deacon. The verb, diakonos, uh, the verb and the noun uh, uh, for that that we translate deacon is most often translated servant or minister in the New Testament. Uh, in fact, it's used predominantly to describe servants of the church, not the office of deacon, and it's something that all of us are called to. So when I say how to be a great deacon, it's for all of us. How can all of us be great servants? Uh, now this is a word, a Greek word that I have studied a lot, and this week as I was reading it, I came across a, another use of the word from the ancient uh, New Testament time period. It carries with it a picture of kicking up dust. Uh, that diakonos is kicking up dust. The idea is you run so fast that you're kicking up the dust behind you. But how it was used was for a servant of a king. A servant of a king who wanted to serve his king faithfully, quickly, and effectively that he would run so fast to serve his king that he would kick up dust behind him. We serve the King of Kings. We serve Jesus. The Queen passed away this week. But we serve a King who will never pass away. And as we think about serving, that should be our heart, is that we should serve him faithfully, efficiently, kicking up dust behind us to follow him and do what he has called all of us to do. All of us should care for each other. We should meet physical and spiritual needs of each other. We should spread the gospel of Jesus together. We can become selfless instead of selfish. And as we look at this passage today, we will see a very stark contrast between a bad servant and a good servant. In fact, a great servant. So if you have your Bibles open, uh, Matthew 23, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. 
The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you. Observe it, but do not do what they do, because they do not practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. They do everything to be seen. They enlarge their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love the place of honor at banquets, the front seat in the synagogues. They love greetings in the marketplaces, and they love to be called rabbi by the people. But you are not to be called rabbi because you have one teacher, and you are all brothers and sisters. We're all just one family. We're all brothers and sisters. Verse 9, do not call anyone on earth your father because you have one heavenly father who is in heaven. You are not to be called instructors because you have one instructor, the Messiah. And Jesus says, the greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus starts this passage by calling out the religious leaders of the day, people who were supposed to serve other people, those who were called to be spiritual leaders of the crowds and the multitudes, those who were to offer guidance and wisdom, those who were to be there through pain and suffering. And he says that their teaching isn't necessarily bad. He actually Uh, commends their theology. He says, listen to their theology, but don't do what they do because they don't serve like they are supposed to serve. They are not caring for the people the way they are supposed to care for the people. The first things we see is how to be a bad servant. And it starts with bad servants hurt people more than they help people. So if you want to be a great deacon, this is, you don't want to do this. As a congregation, if we want to serve and be the servants that God has called us to be, we are not to hurt people more than we help people. Verse 4 says, they tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on the people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. So not only are they bad examples, they keep pouring down weight upon weight upon weight in the form of their man-made laws not God's law, in the form of their rituals and their traditions. Uh, these, these actions are, says you can only be right with God if you do this, 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 and this. And it's a burden that just keeps weighing the people down. It is burdens and restrictions that make it hard for people to come into the house of the Lord and worship. They're asking people to do things that, by the way, they themselves are not willing to do. But yet they think they're more holy than anybody. Now this upsets Jesus greatly. Because remember, Jesus is someone in in Matthew chapter 9, if you would flip back, you don't have to. But in Matthew chapter 9, he looks at the multitude of people and he sees them. Here's what he says. They are sheep without shepherds. The Savior of the world shows up and with all these Pharisees, with all these scribes, with all these Sadducees, and with all these priests, he looks at the people of Israel. And he looks at the Gentile, he says they are sheep without a shepherd. They don't have anybody to care for them. 
They don't have anybody to meet their needs. They don't have anybody praying for them. They don't have anybody encouraging them, equipping them. They don't even have anybody to show them the true ways of following the Lord. And in contrast to the burdens that the Pharisees are putting on the people, since Jesus recognizes them in their distress, he recognizes them as dejected, he says in Matthew 11, he says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A yoke is a wooden cross piece that's fastened over the necks of two animals. You've probably seen it in movies. It's these big things you put on two bulls or two cows and they they carry the wagon or they plow the field. They can be extremely heavy and that's why it takes two animals to pull them and to hold them up. And the Pharisees are are putting yoke upon yoke on the people and they're not coming alongside of them to help them carry it. But Jesus says, my yoke is easy because he's going to carry the burden for you. Jesus says, my burden is light because not only does he come alongside of you and pick up the yoke, not only does he help you carry it, he lifts it off your shoulders completely. That's the picture of how we should serve each other. That is the picture of us coming alongside as brothers and sisters Carrying each other's yoke. And when it's too heavy for one of our brothers and sisters, we lift it up for them. And then another comes and lifts it up. That is how a church serves each other and builds each other. Following the example of Jesus where he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But at the heart of this sentence is the fact that the burden of sin weighs all of us down. The burden of our sins and our actions of disobedience to God weigh heavy on our shoulders. And Jesus says, I came to serve and I came to save and I came to forgive you of your sins. And so he lifts that burden off of our shoulders when we say yes to following him. Whereas the Pharisees are burden bringers, Jesus is a burden taker the pharisees are supposed to be the servants and they are the burden bringers jesus the true shepherd the one shepherd he is a burden taker an example for all of us to follow but that's not the only bad thing here those are the actions of putting piles and piles of weight on people but it's also their hearts They have a desire to be seen and praised by man. There are people in this world who desire to be deacons because they want the title deacon. There are people who think that it brings power and prestige. Much like the Pharisees where it says they do everything to be seen by others. Jesus calls them out. They pray these magnificent prayers on the street corner. So people will walk by and say, oh, that's a good prayer. I wish I could pray like you. They do things to be seen. They enlarge their uh, phylacteries. I can't pronounce that word. I've tried all week. But what it is, now now listen, this, this this isn't one of the most interesting things I studied this week. This is a little bitty box that is tied to the arms of the Pharisees, and they put it on their foreheads. So you have Pharisees walking around with little boxes hanging off their body. It's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, but what it is, is they have little compartments inside, and there are these little scrolls of Scripture. And so it really stems from this uh, Deuteronomy 
11 passage where God says, imprint these words of mine on your hearts, on your minds. So they've got little scrolls in this little box stuck with pieces of tape and leather to their heads. Because God said, put my words in your minds. Then it says, bind them as a sign on your hands and a symbol on your foreheads. So they take this very literally with these little phylacteries, these boxes. And when Jesus says you enlarge them, it's like, because they, he's really, he's mocking them. He goes, who's got the biggest box taped to your forehead? Because the bigger the box, the more scripture. The bigger the box, the more, and they're like, oh, look how much scripture he carries with him. He's, they want to be seen. They want the people to walk around and say, his florectory is bigger than your florectory, right? He's got more scripture in his heart than you've got in your heart. I'm doing my best to pronounce that word. I see you laughing, okay? I'm doing my best. It's actually a serious thing. I I see you laughing. I'm not doing a very good job. (laughs) Uh, Believe me, I know. I know what you're thinking. But second, they increase the size of their tassels. Okay, we'll just move on from that. Go on to the tassels. Uh, The tassels are blue cord. Uh, It's in accordance with Numbers 15. It reminded the people to obey God's commandments and to be holy. So the longer the tassel, the more holy you are. And so what Jesus is saying, you get all these big boxes strapped to your heads and your forehead, you really look ridiculous, and now your tassels are dragging the ground because all you want is people to see how great you are. You want to walk through the marketplace like, hey, rabbi, hey, teacher. You want to go to a banquet, it's like, oh, sit at the seat of honor. Go to somebody's house and say, don't sit down at the end of the table with the servants. You sit at the head of the table, the the place of honor. They didn't really care about the people. They cared about how they were seen by others. They wanted to promote themselves, their image. They wanted to be super, superman spiritually. They loved it. Now, Jesus goes on to talk about these these titles. You know, don't let anybody call you this and don't let anybody call you this. I want you to hear me very clearly. What he's saying is, I am the great teacher. I am your teacher. Now, he says don't call anybody father. It doesn't mean you don't go home and start calling your dad Tim or whatever, right? Riley's not allowed to say, hello, Tim, right? No, he's not saying, he is, he's just using some language to say, I am the heavenly father. I am the servant. I am your one rabbi. He's not denouncing titles. There's nothing wrong with having the title of doctor or deacon. He's saying that where it becomes a problem is when the title consumes you to the point where you want man to recognize you for your title. I had a professor in seminary, Dr. Black, and I still call him Dr. Black, but first he was my Greek professor, and we walked into class and said, good morning, Dr. Black, and he says, don't call me doctor. We don't use titles. You call me David. He said, and this impacted my life greatly. He goes, I know I stand here and I teach you, but I am your brother. He goes, I'm not above you. I'm your brother, and I'm just a brother who gets to teach you. It impacted me greatly. I, I now tell people that, you know, if you want to call me pastor, that's fine, but I like Trent because I'm just your brother. I'm just a sinner just like you who has the great honor and privilege to faithfully proclaim God's word each and every week. But I'm just like you. I'm your brother. You are my sister. You are my brothers. That is how we should view being a servant to each other. We shouldn't look at ourselves as greater than somebody else. So that's how to be a bad deacon. How to be a great deacon 
we've talked about a little bit, but the greatest among you will be your servant. Who exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. When we think about the world we live in, normally greatness is determined by how many people serve you. Uh, CEOs who run a company, how many people work for them, uh, how many people, when we think about celebrities, how many people follow you on Twitter. If you get 2 million followers on TikTok, then you're great. That is how our world sees greats. We have wealthy people. We have politicians. By the way, not to go too far down this road, our politicians could do a lot by reading this passage, right? Yeah, they, and not just here, but around the world. If they would take on the hearts of servants like Jesus, the world would be a much better place. But we look at our culture sees greatness as how many people serve us. And Jesus reminds us that in his kingdom, it is different. In his kingdom, it's not about how many people serve you. It's about how many people you serve. The disciples have this dispute and they say, Jesus, I want to sit at your right hand. I want to sit at your left hand. Or who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus just reminds them that the first will be last, the last will be first. That is the heart of a servant. That is a heart of someone who puts other people's needs before their own, someone who is committed to serve. This is seen by many of you in our congregation who serve this church. I mentioned it last week during the announcements. You serve our church a lot often behind the scenes without wanting any recognition because you have the heart of a servant. It was seen 21 years ago when firefighters rushed into that building and never came back out. That's the heart of a servant. All they could focus on was on saving and serving other people. And it cost them. It cost them dearly. For the men and women who serve the armed forces, they sacrifice and serve not for recognition, not for glory, although there's recognition and glory in it. That's not their heart. Their heart is to serve their country. Their heart is to be faithful to a cause greater than themselves. That's how you become a great servant. To stop worrying about our recognition, to stop worrying about our honor or individual recognition, to stop desiring to have some position of power or authority and just say, I want to serve because my Jesus serves. This, this is the mark of an extremely healthy church when everyone has a heart humbly, humbly serving. He who exalt himself will be humbled. It's fascinating that we don't know really many of the names of those Pharisees. We know Nicodemus, but I believe he became a Christian. They passed away in history. Those who exalted themselves here humbly met their maker and just faded away into history. But yet, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Maybe not here on earth, but certainly in heaven. Again, Jesus is our model Jesus, we learn in Philippians chapter 2, left a position of exaltation. You understand that, right? Jesus was the king on his throne in heaven at the right hand of God the Father, and he left it to come here. He left his position of exaltation to become a servant for the very 
people who had rebelled against God the Father, to the very people who were going to nail him to the cross. That's how he came to serve. He humbled himself as a servant who washed the feet of his disciples. You realize he washed the feet of Judas? He humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. And now he's exalted once again, sitting at the right hand of God the Father. So how to be a great servant? Humble yourself to be like Jesus. Desire to serve others and to meet others' needs above your own needs. That's how you be a great deacon and a great servant for the church.